0: Well here's a news flash. Are you ready for this? Here's the news flash. You ready? Say you're ready. Life is a battle. You believe that? Like life is a battle. It's a fight. And no, I'm not going to call anybody up here and uh, practice my, my left hook. But life is a battle. It's a battle. That's what it is. And it's referred to as such throughout the New Testament. It's interesting that we oftentimes hear that phrase, that life is a battle or life is a fight, life is warfare, but it's often referred to that in Scripture. Let me just give you some examples in Ephesians 6.12. Many of you probably know this. Paul says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. What Paul is saying is, is life is a battle. 1 Timothy 6.12, he says this to Timothy, his protege. He says, Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. First to life is a fight. And then Paul in 2 Timothy, when he knows that his time is ended, he knows he's going to die for his faith. He knows he's going to be martyred. And he says this to Timothy, some of his last words. He reflects on his life, and he says this, I have fought the good fight I have kept the faith. He refers to life, the Christian life, as a fight or as a battle. Now, I want you to turn to Romans 7, because we're going to be in Romans 8 here in in a few minutes. But in Romans 7, Paul speaks of this fight between his flesh, his sinful nature, and the war, the fight that happens between what he knows is right to do what he knows God wants him to do what he knows the Holy Spirit is leading him to do and he describes that there's this fight constantly between his flesh his sinful nature and what the Holy Spirit desires him to do look at what it says in verse 21 he says so I find it to be a law like like here's what I've found to be certain that when I want to do right evil lies close at hand For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. So he's saying, man, I want to do what's right. I want to obey the, the leading of the Holy Spirit in my life. But I see in my members another law waging war, fighting, battling against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Look at what Paul says in verse 24. A wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Like, who's gonna deliver me from this fight that I constantly have to battle? And then he says in verse 25, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So what he's saying is, is there's this battle, there's this fight between what he knows is truth. Like I know that the Bible is truth. I know it's absolute truth. I know it's what I ought to live my life by in my faith, but also in my practice, how I live my Christian life. I mean, I know prayer is important. I know the Word of God is important. I mean, I know the power of the Holy Spirit is essential in my life. And so that's what I know is truth, but there's this battle against my sinful nature that desires to beat me down and wants to defeat me. Now here's what I know. Some in this room, and I praise God for this, man, you are experiencing tremendous victory in your walk with Jesus right now. Like if we were to say it was a battle, you're like, man, I, I am just defeating and battling and seeing victory over my flesh and who I used to be. Man, I'm seeing victory over previous sin strongholds that literally held me captive. And praise God and glory to his name that I am seeing freedom from those sin strongholds that I used to once battle with. And praise God for that. Right? Praise God for that. Someone would say, man, I've seen tremendous growth in these last eight months of this year of 2017. Man, I've seen tremendous growth in my relationships. Man, my wife and I or my husband and I are closer than we've ever been And we know that that's because of what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. Man, we're seeing tremendous victory over that battle that we've waged for so long in our relationships. Whether that's dating, whether that's marriage, whether that's friendship. Some of you would say, man, I've seen tremendous victory in that fight to make prayer a priority in my life. We spent four weeks on that. And you say, man, in those four weeks, or even before that, maybe in the series, The God Who Builds, that we were in 13 weeks at the beginning of this year of 2017, you would say, man, I've seen tremendous growth in my prayer life with the Lord. And man, I would say, man, I'm, I'm waging the war through the power of the Spirit, and I'm seeing tremendous victory. Maybe you would say, man, I'm seeing that in my time in God's Word. And man, that is awesome. Like, let me commend you for that. But I would venture to guess with as many people in here that are seeing tremendous victory in their Christian walk right now, there's probably some that would not be able to say that. They would venture to say that, man, you started great in the early rounds. You made a decision, whether it's in your life group, whether it's your quiet time with God, maybe it was in a service, and you made a decision say, yes, Lord, I'm, I'm going to repent of that sin. I'm going I'm to serve you in this way. I'm going to make this relationship right, whatever it is. And, man, you've done great in the early rounds. But if you were really honest with yourself, now you're feeling this. Man, you're feeling so tired. Feeling tired. Feeling exhausted and discouraged. You're like, I can't swing one more time. Your defenses are down. You can't even hold up your hands. The defenses are down. You've taken so many hits you feel like that there's no way that you're going to win. And you're wanting to throw in the towel and say, I'm done. But here's what I want you to know. If that's you today, Romans 8 is what the Holy Spirit has given us. If we're feeling that way this morning, it's what the Holy Spirit has given us today to dive into through the Apostle Paul. And Romans 8 is one of, if not the richest chapters in the Bible, because the question that's driving Romans 8 is this What can God do for sinners like us fighting to live for the Lord, but too often failing? Like what does God have for us that are feeling that way this morning that we've, we're fighting or we started good in the early rounds but now we're feeling tired, exhausted, defeated, discouraged. We want to throw in the towel. That's what Romans 8 is. Doesn't Paul say that in Romans 7? Like this battle that I'm waging between my flesh and what the Spirit wants me to do brings me down. And so for the next 10 weeks, We're going to walk through Romans chapter 8. We're going to walk through Romans chapter 8 verse by verse in this series that we've entitled Champion, and we're going to receive, we're going to learn, we're going to be reminded that God does not desire those that have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that God does not desire us to live the life of a victim, but rather to live the life of a victor, that that's what God desires for people that believe that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior, because here's the reality, here's what I want you to understand as we walk through this series, and we're going to see this in the the verses of Romans chapter 8, one of the richest chapters in the Bible to our Christian walk, is that Jesus Christ is your champion. Say that, Jesus Christ is my champion, say it again. Jesus Christ is my champion. Believe it. Be reminded of it. Maybe understand it for the first time this morning. That Jesus Christ is our champion. He defeated the power of sin and hell for you and for me. And because he's our champion, we can live the life of a champion because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. So we better get ready to receive what Jesus Christ has for us. Because the reality is is that we view the gospel so many times as bookends. We view the gospel as what's important for me to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. To start my relationship with Jesus Christ. And I would say absolutely and we would then say well my my, the gospel is also important so that i can have an assurance that when i pass from this life to the next i will be in heaven forever with god and jesus christ for all of eternity and i would say absolutely yes but we view the gospel so often as bookends and what romans 8 is going to stress is yes the gospel enters is is the means to enter our relationship with Christ. It is the means to give us security for all of eternity. But the gospel is also important in everyday life that we live from the moment of our salvation to the time that we see Jesus face to face. And so I want you to turn to Romans 8, 1 through 4 if you're not there already because here's the title of the message this morning if you're taking notes. Here it is. No and O not k n o w no the word no is an amazing word it's an amazing word just say the word out loud just say it no awesome say that again somebody say it say it with conviction yeah wasn't that great now look to the person next to you and say it with conviction again wasn't that fun wasn't that fun See, when I say that no is an amazing word, some of you are like, oh, I don't know. I don't, I'm don't. i not sure about that. I don't think of no as an amazing word. Here's the overarching idea that I want you to get today, and we're going to flesh this out in Romans 8, 1 through 4. It's this idea. The most liberating word in your Christian life is the word no. It's the most liberating word in my Christian life. It's the most liberating word in your Christian life, is the word no, N-O. See, most of us don't think of the word no in those terms, do we? We don't think of the word no as liberating. We often, and I often, view the word most of the time as restricting, right? A negative thing. We got teenagers in the crowd? Think about it. You ask your mom or dad these questions, can I buy a new phone? No. Can I get my own car? No. Can I date this guy or girl? No. Can I have this new outfit or shoes? No. Now, I'm characterizing, but most teenagers think they, heard, they hear the word no a lot more than the word yes. To you, When you think of the word no, it's restricting, man. It is not liberating. It's not freeing. But how about adults in the crowd? Because let's not leave ourselves out of this. Think about this. We say to ourselves, can I afford a new car? We pull up the bank statement. No. (laughs) Can I move into a different house? We look at the bank statement. No. (laughs) Can I afford to quit the job that I don't like? We look at the bank statement. No and we oftentimes don't view the word no as liberating as freeing we view it as restricting now let's think about how often we view the bible don't we often view the bible in negative terms can i date or marry this guy or girl that doesn't believe in jesus as their lord and savior no can i spend all the money on myself all my money on myself and be selfish with it no can i have sex with my girlfriend or boyfriend or fiance before we're married that I love? No. Can Jesus be second, third, or fourth in importance in my life? No. I mean, how often do we view this Bible as a bunch of no's? Right? We don't view it as liberating. We don't view it as freeing. We view it as constricting. But as followers of Jesus Christ, like I said, the word no ought to remind you and ought to remind me of my greatest reality. My greatest reality. Look at what it says in Romans 8.1. Look at what Paul says. Remember what he just said in Romans 7. Like, I'm feeling hopeless, I'm feeling defeated, I'm feeling tired, I'm feeling exhausted, I'm fighting this fight against my flesh and what my flesh wants to do versus what the Lord wants me to do, and then he brings himself back to this amazing reality for everyday living that the gospel provides, and he says in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore, remember what I said about therefore? When you're reading your Bible, when you see the word therefore, you say, man, what's above that? Because when I see therefore, it's drawing a conclusion based on what was shared before that verse. Paul says, therefore, there is now no condemnation. You ought to circle the word no right in your Bible. No condemnation. What that means is there's no judgment, there's no wrath. There's no fire in brimstone. There's no God up in heaven with a lightning bolt ready to throw it down on you. There is therefore now no condemnation but for who? For those who are in Christ Jesus. And so what I want to do in the remainder of our time is I want to show you the significance of that phrase, no condemnation. The significance of that phrase for you if you're here today. And he would say, man, I don't know why I'm here today. Somebody invited me. I went on the website. I saw one of the flags when I passed by last week. And for whatever reason, I'm even shocking myself right now, I'm in church and I haven't been in church in forever. And I don't even believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, as it says in John 14, 6. But I'm here today. Listen to me. I want, God wants you to hear I want you to hear, but God, more than I do, wants you to hear the significance of what we're going to look at this morning. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, whether that's been for 30 years, 40 years, or one week, God wants you today to see the significance of the phrase, no condemnation, because it is the most liberating word in your Christian life, is that word, no And so here's the first thing that I want you to see. We just read Romans 8 1 that no condemnation in Christ Jesus means, first of all, this you can say no to the fear of rejection. You feeling rejected today by God? You're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and you say, You don't know what I've done. You're struggling with the fear of rejection. You're here this morning and you're in this room and you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And if you're honest, you would say, man, I am fighting the fear that says God doesn't accept me. He's rejecting me. And you're going round after round after round with this giant of a lie that God doesn't accept you. Even though you look and you say, man, I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but I don't feel accepted. I feel rejected. And you're going round after round after round with that giant of a lie. And you're tired. You're beat up. You're worn out. And the only way I believe that you and me can see victory over this fear is believing the following things. Listen, you and I can't earn God's acceptance. We can't do it. That verse 1 doesn't say, there is now therefore no condemnation and stop there. No, what does it say? There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You and I can't earn God's acceptance and we need to drive home that reality right now if we're going to understand the significance of that phrase, no condemnation, that it means that I can say no to that fear that wants to rise up and say, you're not accepted by God, you're rejected. Wait a minute, let me bring myself back to the reality. I could never earn God's acceptance. When you look at the Old Testament, like let me just give you a verse, Leviticus twenty twenty six. This is what God tells his people, Israel, in the Old Testament. He says, you shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy. So he's saying, Israel, I want you to be like me. I'm perfect. I want you to be set apart also and be holy. Could they ever do that? Look at what I mean. We know these verses. Some of us, some of us maybe not. So let me just give it. Romans three twenty three says, "For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God." Every one of us has sinned. I've never met anybody who I have to convince that they've sinned. Romans six twenty three. Well, because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, what does my sin deserve? And Romans 6.23 says, for the wages, what my sin deserves is death. Spiritual death, separation from God for all of eternity, and a lake of fire, like that's what my sin deserves. And so we have this standard that God set up in the Old Testament, be holy because I'm holy. Problem is, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Problem is, for the wages of sin is death. Isaiah 64, 6 says, because some of us are in here and we're like, well, if I asked you, well, how do you know that you have a relationship with God? How do you know that you have assurance that when you pass from this life to the next that you'll be in heaven without a shadow of a doubt? And you say, well, I, and I, I, I'm a good person, and I hope that my good outweighs the bad, but here's the reality of what God says in Isaiah 64, 6. All of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment before God. Like, no matter how good I am, it doesn't outweigh the reality that I'm still a sinner. And I can never be perfect. I can't earn God's acceptance. Why? Because he's perfect and I'm not. And we need to remind ourselves of that reality. And some of you are like, that's not giving me hope right now. But when I understand that my acceptance isn't found in the good that I do, that that's impossible, then what that draws me to the reality is I'm ready to understand, to be reminded, to learn, for maybe the first time to have my eyes open to the reality that God's acceptance of me is found, as Romans 8, 1, in Christ Jesus. Circle that. Because no condemnation has no significance if it's not also tied to that phrase in Christ Jesus. That's why, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, no is such a liberating word to my Christian walk. I mean, what Paul is reminding us of is the atoning, the saving work for our sin is found in Jesus Christ. I cannot do anything to enhance his triumph. Like there's nothing more that I can do good wise that could enhance the victory that Jesus Christ accomplished for me. Romans 5 verses 15 and 16 says this, for if many died through one man's trespass, so we go all the way back to the beginning of time in Genesis chapter 3 and Adam and Eve sinned and that sin was passed on now to the human race. And Paul says, for if many died through one man's trespass, like because of Because sin reigns in our bodies, we deserve death. Much more have the grace of God and the free gift. What does that tell me? I can't earn it. The free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And that free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought what? What does it say? Condemnation. My sin brings judgment. My sin brings hopelessness. My sin brings hell upon me. But the free gift is following many trespasses, brought justification. Like because of Jesus Christ and his perfect life for me, and replace of my sinful life, Because of Jesus Christ's death for me, the wages that my sin deserved, because Jesus rose again three days later and was victorious. Man, if that's me today and that's where I place my trust, I am justified. God accepts me. And I think oftentimes we view our salvation as God brings us from negative to zero, right? Like we were in the negative. I believe in what Jesus Christ has done for me. So now I'm in zero balance. But the reality is, is when I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I'm not brought from the negative to the zero. I'm brought from the negative to the positive. Because Jesus Christ gives me his righteousness when I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So when God looks at me, he smiles. Look how awesome is that? Like, you could even be in your sin right now as a follower of Jesus Christ. You know what God's still doing at you? He's smiling. Not because of your sin, but because of who you are in Jesus Christ. Like, I think so often, like, when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we still have that element of religion, right? And it's so hard to loose ourselves of, right? Right? Like we bring religion into our relationship with Jesus Christ. Religion says this, what do I have to do to be accepted? Like some of you right now, you're followers of Jesus Christ and that fear of rejection is just weighing so heavy on you. You're in that ring and that fear of rejection is so tall and so big and it's like a featherweight going against a heavyweight and it's weighing down on you. And the reality is is because you're bringing religion into your relationship with Jesus Christ. You're saying, God, I know that you sent Jesus Christ to live and to die and to be risen for my sins, but there's something in me that says I still have to do something to earn your favor. That's religion. What do I have to do? What do I have to do to be accepted? What good do I have to do to be accepted? Well, there's always more that I need to do to be accepted. Relationship says this, I am accepted and loved because of someone else's action on my behalf. That's relationship. Relationship says, wait a minute, I am accepted. And it's not because of me. It's because of what someone else has done on my behalf. Look at verse one again. And here's what I want you to do. Some of you are like, man, I need to bring a pen next week because Johnny's asking me to write a lot in his Bible. And you know what I say? Yes. Because here's what I want you to do right now. Look at that verse again. And it says, let's look at it again. It says in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to cross out the word those yes, I said cross out a word in the Bible and I want you to write your name above it. So that every single time I look at Romans 8, 1, every single time I'm in that ring and that fear of rejection seems so big and I'm so tempted to say, man, there's something else that I need to do to warrant God's acceptance of me that I look at that verse and I say, wait a minute, it says, there is therefore now no condemnation for Johnny who is in Christ Jesus. most liberating word and your christian life is the word no and look at what he says paul says in verses two through four he says for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in christ jesus from the law of sin and death verse three for god has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. Don't you love that? There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So here's what God did. He condemned sin in the flesh through Jesus Christ. What He condemned was the power that our sin had on us. Verse 4, In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. See, no condemnation means, number one, you and I can say no to the fear of rejection. Here's the second thing. You and I can say no to the feelings of guilt. Because I would venture to guess, maybe if you're in this room and you're like, man, I'm in the ring of life and it's not the fear of rejection that's beating me down. It's the feelings of guilt that are beating me down. And I'm believing this lie. That God can't forgive that. He won't forgive that. And that giant of a lie looks huge. And it's beating you down. And you're down on the mat. And you're beat up and you're exhausted. And if that's you today and you're feeling those feelings of guilt and they're waging heavy on you... Then verses two and three are for you. Because here's what we need to believe you are free in Christ Jesus. Say that. I'm free. Say it again. You don't believe it, say it again. I'm free. You're free if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Because in Romans 8:2, here's what Paul does. You see it there in verse two? Verse he gives these two alternatives. There's life in the Spirit, like freedom in Christ. Living my life, not out of my own flesh, but living it out of the power of the Spirit. There's life in the Spirit. There's freedom there. That's one alternative. And here's the other alternative, which is much worse. There's the law of sin and death, which brings bondage, which brings hopelessness. And in the midst of those two alternatives is this amazing phrase, Set free. There's no bondage in authentic Christianity. Like there's not this hopelessness that ought to be found as we're walking with Jesus. That's not what God desires for us. What does God desire? He desires freedom. Freedom from what? Freedom from the bondage of legalism. Because here's what legalism really is. So, can I just say, it's not like like I grew up in an independent, fundamental Baptist church where we fought more than we did anything growing up. I saw a lot of fighting. But legalism isn't can't wear pants, can't listen to music that has a drum beat, can't go to the movies like I'm literally start twitching when I'm remembering all the things in my in my past that I was told but in reality that's that's not legalism though I don't feel like, I don't have convictions about any of those things being right that's not legalism here's what legalism is it's this idea that says I have to try harder to do better to do more so I will be accepted That's legalism. So I have to do these things, and I have to do this, and I have to do that, and and I have to do these things. And if I'm not doing these things, then I'm overridden with guilt, which goes back to what we talked about already. It's this fear that I have to do these things to be accepted by God, and it's weighing us down because we're thinking to ourselves, me doing these things, I'm being legalistic, thinking that this is making God smile on me more, plapping harder, patting me on the back more. Which then leads to, we I have time to talk about the erosion of this idea because I'm doing these things and you not, you're not, therefore I'm more spiritual than you are. But legalism is all about I need to do these things to be accepted. And what Paul is saying, man, it's the law of sin and death. It's trying to meet the challenge of God's holy law with our own self-mastery. Like, I can do this. Like, I can just walk out of here and apply what I heard in church today. I don't need the Spirit. Once again, that's why we read Jude 24 and 25 before we walk out of these doors to remind ourselves of the reality wait a minute, it's not what I can do, it's what Jesus Christ has done. But isn't legalism attractive to the human heart? See, some of you are like, man, I love wearing pants. I love music with an electric guitar and a drum beat. I love going to the movies. And we could go on and on and on with all the things. So maybe legalism doesn't tempt you that way, but maybe it tempts you in others, it tempts you in other ways. I mean, it's attractive to our human heart because there's something in us that says, ooh, I like the idea that I can do something for God that's going to make him prouder of me. Because what does it do? It elevates what I have done. There's something attractive about that. There's something that we are tempted to think that. And when Paul says there in verse 2 that the law of the Spirit has set us free from the law of sin and death, here's what we need to understand. The law in the Old Testament, so Exodus 20 has the Ten Commandments. So we're referring to as the law. So those standards that God set up, they were never solely meant for us to live them so we could earn God's favor. Because the reality is, is God set up a standard that He knows that we could not perfectly meet. Yes, those Ten Commandments were to set his people apart from everyone else. And that's why God set up a sacrificial system. Is because he knew his people couldn't keep every one of those without disobeying. So that they would learn that something else had to die in place of their sin. So the purpose of the law was not solely to reveal that, hey, here's a standard that you can live up to. It was actually one of the purposes was to reveal to them that they couldn't do it. That they needed a helper. And listen, in God's kingdom, listen to this, in God's kingdom, legalism is illegal. How awesome is that? Because it violates what Paul says in verse 2 is the spirit of life. Legalism says, I can do it. Spirit of life says, no, you can't. Jesus did it. And he's given you the Holy Spirit to help you live a life that does please him. Galatians 5.1 says this, For freedom Christ has set us free. So based on that reality, what does he say? Stand firm. Believe it. So when I'm fighting against those feelings of guilt that want me to say, Man, Jesus Christ can't forgive that. No, no, no. Not this. No, 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 not what you just did with your spouse. No, 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 not what you just saw online. No, 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 not that lie and that gossip that you just told. No, 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 God can't forgive that. When you're thinking about that and those feelings of guilt are waging war on you and beating you down, what do you bring yourself back to? Wait a minute. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. I need to bring myself back to living in the spirit, I've been trying to do this on my own and I see where it gets me. It only brings me bondage. See, here's what else we need to remember to speak to that feeling of guilt. God has forgiven your sins through Jesus Christ, and so should you. See, some of you are saying, man, I know Jesus forgave me of it, but I can't forgive myself. Like, how contrary is that to the gospel? So you're bigger than God? You're greater than God? I mean, it says there in verse 3, look at it again. For God has done what the law, you know what you ought to put? What you, put your name there. For God has done what Johnny, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned the sin in the flesh. I see two twofold truth about Jesus here quickly. Jesus was born in our likeness. You see that? I love that that verse gets across the idea that Jesus didn't stand at a distance. Like have you ever maybe you've served in our children's ministry. I hope this hasn't happened, but it probably has in the 13 years. Or you're or you're babysitting someone and your kid throws up. Not your kid somebody else's kid and that kid throws up and you're like oh my goodness i gotta clean this or some of you some of us i <laughs> would think this up but is it almost time for service to end and the parent can come and do the work right god forbid us god forgive us of that thought but you're you're going there and what are you doing you're like at a distance this is the way i would be like 1st of all, I'd be like, because i would probably almost throw up but you go and you're like you take a maybe a napkin and you're like huh And you throw it over it. I'm gonna help, but I'm gonna help at a distance. What I love is that here in this phrase, in this verse, when it says that Jesus was made in the likeness of sinful flesh, what it's saying is there's no, no, no. Jesus didn't stand at a distance. He rolled up his sleeves and he says I love my people and I'm putting on human flesh and I'm going to live this life and I'm going to know what it's like to be hungry and I'm going to know what it's like to be tempted and I'm going to know what it's like to grieve and I'm going to know what it's like to be betrayed and I'm going to know what pain's like. I'm rolling up my sleeves so that Hebrews 4.15 I can identify with them in every single way. So man, Those feelings of guilt that Jesus, I know you forgave me, but I can't forgive myself. We're cheapening what Jesus has done for us. We don't have time to turn to Philippians 2, 7-11, but you can write that down. Which talks about Jesus and how he came in humility. And how he endured the cross and he emptied himself and he's victorious right now in heaven at the right hand of the throne of God. He is champion. Think about it like this. I forgot my wallet in the car. So at 11 a.m. we'll see this visually. But How many of you got credit cards? This is not a message on whether they're right or wrong, so don't, don't, don't get freaked out. I have, I have them. Think about it this way. That God would approach you and say, Susie, Bill, I have a credit card for you. And this credit card says on it, the credit card of justification. And God gives you that card, and here's the beautiful thing about that card. It accesses infinite resources on the merits of Christ, on what Jesus Christ has done for you. It gives you infinite resources, this credit card of justification. And you can charge all your moral debits to this card. So every sin... You use this card that you've committed, and there's no limit on this card. Infinite limit. Let's say the credit card of justification is God's black Mastercard or American Express card. There's no limit on this card. And here's the other thing. Not only have you been given this credit card of justification that every time you sin, you can swipe this card, and there's no credit limit, but here's the amazing thing. God also gives you a new credit rating. Like you still don't have the credit card. You just don't have only the infinite credit limit. But you also have a brand new credit score. Remember how we said he doesn't bring us from the negative to the, or from the negative to zero. He brings you just to the positive. And you can carry this card with you at all times. It's the only card you need. And whenever you sin, and whenever I sin, it's charged to Jesus. And God will never declare you bankrupt. Like how awesome is that idea? And some of us say, well, man, like that illustration kind of rubs me the wrong way because couldn't you abuse that card? Like, I'm just going to go ahead and sin and slide that card because I know Jesus has already forgiven me. But here's the reality. I look at Matthew 5, 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, and it says, Those who are citizens of the kingdom, man, they hunger and thirst after righteousness. If that was someone's attitude to what Jesus Christ has done for them, I would question whether or not they ever were saved. Because Paul says in Romans 6, Should we sin so that grace abounds? God forbid. When I understand what Jesus has given me and those feelings of guilt can be washed away and yes, when I sin and when I do wrong with someone else or towards God, yes, I need to ask forgiveness of it, but I need to bring myself back to the reality that I don't need to crucify myself in believing that really Jesus hasn't forgiven it. That's why he was crucified. I say no to those feelings of guilt and here's the third thing. And we're done, and it's found in the second part of verse 4. It says in verse 4, In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, Jesus did for you what I can't do for myself. It says, Who walk not according to the flesh, but here's what we do. We walk according to the Spirit. See, no condemnation in Christ Jesus means thirdly, that you and I can say no to the fatigue of defeat. Not just the feelings of rejection, or the fear of rejection. Not just the feelings of guilt that may be weighing on you, and you need to remind yourself, wait a minute, I'm forgiven! Maybe the fatigue of defeat, and you're in that ring, and you feel beat down, and you want to give up, and and you're wanting to throw in the towel, and you say, man, I'm tired of failing. I'm tired of fighting and then failing, fighting and then failing, fighting and then failing, and I'm tired. And that giant, that fatigue of defeat is just beating on me. And you feel like Paul in Romans seven. But here's what I want you to understand: in this idea is that fighting out the flesh, fighting out of the flesh, results in fatigue. Here's what I've found in my own heart that every time i look and i'm like man i feel so tired serving jesus now there's a good tired and there's a bad tired good tired is man i'm tired but man i'm energized like cuz i'm serving jesus not that type of tired but i'm talking about fatigue like i'm tired i'm discouraged i'm depressed i'm i'm just done that I found in my heart, when yeah, and I felt that way too. That it's always a result that I'm trying to serve God out of my own strength. I'm trying to defeat, defeat this sin out of my own strength. And I found that that type of fatigue is never from the spirit. It's always from the enemy. And it really comes from the sin of self-sufficiency. Because at the end of the day, sin is believing a lie, right? And here's the lie. That we think to ourselves, man, sin is just the price of experiencing happiness. But what's amazing is, as we walk through this chapter of Romans 8, just just think about this. This was amazing to me as I just started looking at the book of Romans in particular, that the key word in Romans 8 is spirit. Spirit. In chapters 1 through 7, the word spirit occurs only five times. In chapters 9 through 16, the spirit only occurs eight times, so not a whole lot. But then you come to chapter 8, and the word spirit is mentioned 21 times. Why? Because the way that I overcome and defeat the giant of fatigue, of defeat is by reminding myself, wait a minute, I have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of me, and I need to walk in that. I need to fight through the Spirit so that I can experience victory. I mean, John 7, 38 and 39 says this, whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this, he said about the Spirit, and listen to me, we're gonna walk through this series on what that practically looks like. But what I love about the Holy Spirit is he shows us how wide the love of God is. He shows us how deep the love of God is. Do you remember when we dealt with that message, the greatest prayer that we can ever pray is God, grow me in who I am in you and what I have in you. And that's what the Spirit does. And he grows that in us more and more as we're surrendered to him. As we're like, God, I need to spend time in your word. God, I need to pray. God, I need to be involved in biblical community. God, I need to make sure your words are prior in my life. And what the result of that is, is I surrender to the Spirit. And God, I want to live your way and not my own. And when I sin, I ask forgiveness of it. And I acknowledge it. And I keep serving. That what happens is the Holy Spirit continues to grow in me more and more. an understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And the victory that I have in him. And sin becomes less and less attractive. Proactive. Remember at the beginning of the message I said some of you in here are experiencing tremendous victory and you would say that's exactly what Jesus is doing for me through the Holy Spirit. As we close this morning, what I want you to understand as we close is that God's aim for us is not just to make us forgiven people. Yeah, I'm someone and my sins are forgiven. But God's desire for us is not just to make us forgiven, but to make us view ourselves as champions in Jesus Christ. We don't need more frightening punishments, more withering scoldings. We need the all-sufficiency of Jesus applied in rich measure to our deepest points of personal need. That is what the Holy Spirit does. He internalizes the triumphs of Christ crucified within the depths of our hearts. So that our desires start changing from evil to good. Listen to me as we close this morning. You know what I thought of? I thought of every champion. And what does every champion have? He has a belt. Right? He has a belt that shows that he is a champion. And everybody wants that belt. And what I find interesting is that in Ephesians 6.14 when Paul's talking about the armor of God of all the things he describes as the belt what does he say? that we have the belt of truth. And every person that's a follower of Jesus Christ, what we have strapped around ourselves and has been given to us by God and we need to put on every single day is that belt of truth. And what does that truth? That Jesus is our champion. That every day I need to strap on that belt and say, wait a minute, I'm not a victim, I'm victorious. Jesus is my champion. So when I'm fighting And that fear of rejection wants to beat me down. You know what I throw back? You know the blows that I throw? Is that Christ is superior. He's sufficient. When I'm battling those feelings of guilt. And they're wanting to beat me down. You know what I remind myself of? Wait a minute. Christ is loving. He forgave me. He did what was necessary for my sins. He forgave me so I need to forgive myself and you're feeling beat down by that fatigue of defeat, and oh, I keep failing, I keep failing. Wait a minute, I need to remind myself, wait a minute, I need to claim the victory that's mine in Christ Jesus and rely on the Holy Spirit. That's what I need to punch back with. Jesus Christ is my champion. Therefore, I'm a champion.